Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So wonderful to see you all. I'm still holding it down here at Sacred Roots, visualizing everyone here. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope that it could resume, although it doesn't look like it's going to be sooner uh, rather than later, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I want to chat today about uh, the topic today is purity, um, recognizing like mind, mind essence. And um, I was reading, uh, reading some Trangu Rinpoche lately, and he was talking about the, uh, the Dharma is spreading far and wide, but the, those that are becoming realized is dwindling. <laughs> so even though we have more access to the Dharma, um, we have less realization. So he was talking about, you know, why this, this might be. And <clears throat> it's one of those things that's very easy to bring Dharma uh, in, into, our, into our lives and want to use it, um, yeah, use it to, to make, make uh, quote-unquote, life better. But, um, but actually transcending that, and it's not a transcendence like um, transcending the world in any way, but actually seeing the world for what it is, seeing phenomena for what they are, seeing the self for what it is, this is actually very rare. Like we don't really, uh, from, from my experience and my travels um, within myself and and with others, is there's actually an aversion to this. There's actually an aversion to seeing things as they are, to seeing the empty essence of phenomena. <clears throat> and it's um, maybe because we're trying to, we're, we have the, or we're meeting this this concept of, of of pure essence or purity of mind or true nature of mind, um, free of elaboration. We're meeting it with the conceptual mind. Um, so it's trying to overcome itself and it has uh, difficulty, difficulty doing that. And so there's a version. So when we think or when we speak about emptiness, you know, I've had friends that just says, you know, don't talk to me about emptiness. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to think about it, talk about it, learn about it. Um, just just don't, don't want don't to deal with it. And yeah, and, and this is common, and I like how Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, empty, empty of what? Um, what, are, what is this, what we, when we say emptiness, what is it empty, empty of? And it's this, this empty, emptiness of, of separateness, of existing separately from <clears throat> all other phenomena. So we have this interdependent arising. So when we say emptiness of self, we're just saying emptiness of permanent, fixed self. Or existing from their own side. So all of this stuff. So, 
you know, with these Sunday sit talks, it's hard to get into something, uh, a topic like this and, and unravel um, actual essence of mind and in the, in the time that we have. But what we can work on is, you know, these little tastes, these truths that um, are seeds and they get watered, they get planted and watered, uh, obviously throughout time. And also we can work on our motivation to see things clearly. So instead of using the Dharma as only a way to make life a little bit easier, but but how can we have the get the motivation to to use it in in a more um, ultimate way? And so that's actually what I want to focus on today. And so I want to I want to actually read some fun stories, kind of um, share some mystical stories. Um, Hopefully, hopefully you like mystical stories too. I love stories of just like grandiose enlightenment, awakening, you know, fun stuff like that. So I thought I'd share some stories that have been coming up for me recently in my own little studies, you know, and, and then we could use that as, as a backdrop for our motivation to see something more, to, to recognize something more, to Notice liberation on a grand scale, the type of liberation that, that transcends generations and political upheavals and um, all social environments, that type of liberation that sustains through, the, through time and space. Um, so I'm going to start off by just reading a couple um, reading a couple descriptions of awakened mind. One is from Ergen Rinpoche and one's from Longchenpa. And again, I don't want us to really maybe move into it intellectually, but just let, let the words land, you know. With these teachings, it's very much just experiential, really. It's just hitting home into something that is innate within us anyway. It's not something that we're figuring out with the mind. So I'm going to start here, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to share some stories. So this is Ergen Rinpoche. Those of you that are familiar, Ergen Rinpoche is the father of Sokni Rinpoche. And um, he's got four sons total. Minga Rinpoche is another you know, famous son. What we should recognize is a state of non-dual emptiness and cognizance. Pure awareness is not an object to be recognized, just as we are not a subject recognizing it. As long as duality is constantly remain, remade, as long as it does not become oneness, there is no enlightenment. But do not apprehend a oneness either. Duality should become oneness, and this oneness should be objectless, traceless. It is not a thing we must keep up or maintain in meditation because there are not two things. There is not subject and object. There is simply oneness. And then the next one, Longchenpa. The enlightened mind is without coming and departing. It is neither outside nor within. Transcending thought, it has no partiality. It is ultimate reality, 
unlimited and unconfined, wherein there is no wide or narrow and no high or low. Set aside all anxious search for it. And this one from Nargajuna. Since, like a moon in water, a rainbow, and a movie, it is a mere appearance of interdependent arising. No phenomena exist through possessing an essence. The extremes of samsara and nirvana, of permanence and extinction, are transcended. So here it's speaking of phenomena arising, and we're we're posting some of this, um, some of these quotes in the chat box. Thank you, Don. <clears throat> so these are points. Sorry, sorry. There's noise. Um, if if it's noisy, I don't know. There's noise outside. The the rooms on kind of either side of me. So I apologize. So this is pointing to phenomena arising, but inherently empty. And we use analogies for this, like a rainbow, like a movie on the screen, like uh, the reflection of the, the moon and water. So things are existing and, and real in this way, yet empty of inherent existence. All right, so I'm just going to read a little bit about... Um, Uh, just the, the, the realization, kind of about the realization itself, and then I'm going to go into the stories. And I think this is both from um, Ergen Rinpoche, actually. Through the practice of Ati Yoga, so this is another word for like uh, more Zogchen practice, so just recognizing, turning the mind on the mind to, be, to, to have a very, very simple explanation. Through the practice of Ati Yoga, Many meditators realize the intrinsic nature of their minds and swiftly merge their minds into the ultimate nature, Buddhahood, in this very lifetime. At the time of death, with beams and auras and circles of light, many dissolve their mortal bodies, leaving behind only their hair and fingernails and toenails. It is called the attainment of the rainbow body or rainbow light bodies. For light appears during the dissolution process of the wisdom light, and the wisdom light body is attained. Okay, and here's here's one more. The highest accomplished meditators exhaust all existence into the true nature and unite their minds into the ultimate nature, the primordial purity. If they choose, they could also dissolve or transform their physical bodies into purity. There are two major categories of attainment, the rainbow body and the rainbow body of great transformation. Through the perfection of the meditation of cutting through, at the time of death, over a period of a couple days, their bodies dissolve and disappear. They leave no mortal gross form of flesh, bone, or skin behind, 
but only the 20 nails and the hair of the body. Although this is a dissolution of the body and not a transformation of the body into a light body, it is called a rainbow body. Since during the process of dissolution there always appears arches and circles of rainbow light, like, like, sorry, like lights of various colors around the body and the dwelling, through the practices they transform their mortal body into a subtle light body and remain in that as long as there is a service to perform for the benefit of ordinary beings. So these are stories of, of what is um, commonly called the, the rainbow body. Um, a lot of times in, in, um, in Tibetan Buddhism they speak quite often of this rainbow body which is a level of, of attainment that one can achieve and again, it's just speaking to something more, right? Something more of what is, what is out there for us to actually, actually attain the rainbow body itself uh, as it leads to the end of suffering, actually have, attaining this state and these physical manifestations doesn't really mean anything, right? But when, when one attains the rainbow body, what they have really attained is seeing the true nature of phenomena. And this is what matters. It doesn't matter about some kind of physical attainment or what you could do after death or if there's rainbows in the sky. It doesn't matter, right? What matters is, is that are we seeing things as they truly are? These are just simply manifestations of that, right? So when we read these things, we read it to understand that, okay, there's something more out there and like the, thing, the stories I'm about to read too, um, what does this mean, I think, for us to reflect on these things and for them to come home in our psyche and use them for motivation? How do they relate to the end of suffering? This is what's important to, to recognize. So here's a story of, of Milarepa. Milarepa could fly and move freely through solid rock. It is not that such yogis are miracle workers. They have simply realized the original nature of things as insubstantial. This becomes increasingly evident as their inner fixation on solidity is allowed to dissolve. The more we train in the awakened state in letting go of fixation, the more the outer world will be seen as it really is, an insubstantial play of illusions. This is why the great masters who attained accomplishment could walk on water, pass through solid rock, and remain unharmed by flames. Guru Rinpoche was burned at the stake several times, but remained unscorched. <laughs> I don't know why he's burned at the stake several times. I don't know what he did. <laughs> Probably because he didn't die the first time. They're like, hey, we better try this again. You know, <laughs> This guy's not right. The outer elements are only deluded perceptions. No one else created them but us. Thus, when our inner fixation caves in, their falsehood also collapses. All appearances are insubstantial like smoke or mist. Superficially, they do appear but only as the magical play of delusion.
so these are fantastical things. I'm going to read a couple more. Um, and so they talk about like passing through rock and stuff like this. And, um, and I'm going to read some more about them actually um, awakened beings um, in making impressions into solid, solid rock. And these things, like they mentioned in one of these stories in this tale, is that you can go back and actually see them. They're, not, they're still there, obviously, because they're still in, in stone. And I was able to visit one of these. So Guru Rinpoche meditated in a cave in Nepal for 12 years, and you can go visit. And I went and visited and meditated in the cave. It was really incredible. And then before he left, he put his handprint in, in the stone. And, um, and so you could put your handprint in the, in the same handprint, and it's, it's very vis visible. It's quite, quite amazing. This one is really an amazing story of Longchenpa. When Longchenpa, um, when Longchenpa passed away, he left a relic. So if you're not familiar... A lot of times when uh, Tibetan masters pass away, they leave relics, and there's something called a relic tour. You could, there's a tour that goes all around the world, and they have these relics of, and, uh, of these, these masters. And what happens is, is when their bodies are cremated, they, were, they will leave certain things behind. So part of their bodies actually don't actually get cremated. They will either leave, leave seeds or actually parts of their, their body. And this is a very unique um, situation that happened with Longchenpa. When Longchenpa passed away, he was a magnificent um, Dzogchen master. When Longchenpa passed away, the earth quaked six times in a row, and there were six great claps of thunder. He passed away in a manner called rainbow body with remainder as opposed to rainbow body without remainder. Rainbow body with remainder is more beneficial for other beings because it leaves behind relics. Among his remains, his brain became one large relic. It was a particular type of relic that was one unbroken piece, white in color with a design on it in a slightly yellowish hue resembling ivory. When the lamas visited the where the relic was kept, they would request a segment of it. Taking a hammer and a chisel, they would chip off a piece. Within a year, this missing piece would be regenerated and the brain would resume its original form as a single intact relic. And this is a really famous um, relic and that story of the relic being, you know, chipped off into little pieces. Um, that happened a lot that people kept trying to take little pieces of this relic and it kept restoring itself <laughs> over and over again. So that, um, they would look back and it would be a whole brain once again. Um, so yeah, really, really fascinating, fascinating story. This one is a really beautiful, rare story. I've only found it in, in one location. Um, it's a story of a nun. I've always appreciated the stories of the nuns because there's just so many stories of, of male practitioners, but um, seems like very few of, of nuns. <clears throat> so here's a 
wonderful story about a nun attaining the, the rainbow body, and this is told by Ergen Rinpoche. Control II uh, told me this story, so I definitely know it is true. Control's brother, a very tall and handsome man, was present at the time. It happened like this. An elderly nun came through their village on pilgrimage. When she saw the wealthy household, she asked for a place where she could make a short retreat. They offered her one of their vacant cow sheds. She told them, I want to use it for a week to make a strict retreat. I want the door sealed up. Please pile stones against the door because I don't want any disturbance. Since they were used to, used to sponsoring practitioners, they agreed and no one thought twice about it. They said, sure, you could have it your way. They didn't know what was going, who was going to look after her and bring her food. They thought she had already made arrangements. After three days, some strange phenomena began to occur. Swirling light rays of different colors were seeping out of the holes and cracks of the, cows, the cow shed's stone wall. Light was shining out from under the roof, while outside the shed, spheres of light moved rapidly about. The people of the house wondered, what's going on here? Who's looking after the old woman? Who's bringing her food? They asked their servants. The servants thought someone else was giving her food, but actually no one was. They decided she must have been cooking for herself. But Control's brother asked, is there any place to cook inside? The servant said, no, no, there's no fireplace or anything. So they wondered, what is she eating? Does she have any water? What are these lights all about? Finally, they took, they, finally they decided to take a look. They removed the pile of stones and pried open the door. They saw that the body of the nun had fallen into pieces. Her hands were lying in one place and her feet were lying in another. Her limbs were no longer connected to the body but lay scattered in pieces. From the ends of the bones, swirled, swirls of rainbow light were coiling out as the body continued to fall apart. The observers asked each other, what is this? It looks like she's dead. One person had the presence of mind to say, let's leave her alone. It looks like something unusual is happening here. She asked for seven days of solitude, so let's do as she asked and saying that they sealed the shed up again. When they returned after the seventh day and opened the shed, the rainbow lights had vanished. Not a drop of blood, nor flesh, nor bones could be found anywhere. Only the nails from the fingers and the toes remained, lying there very neatly, along with a tuft of hair. This event most definitely happened. Interesting one. <laughs> Fascinating. Here's another one. Something more. This is another monk um, attaining rainbow body. Or maybe it's a little different. Even after the Chinese arrived, two or three people attained in Golok attained rainbow body. The Rinpoche who was very careful about such stories, went to Tibet and through many different sources tracked down the names and places of these people. He's keeping all the details very precisely. Two of these people attained rain rainbow body. 
The third person was being beaten by the Chinese when suddenly he started to levitate upwards until they could not reach him. He went higher and higher until he vanished. This is a type of celestial accomplishment. So it's definitely true that even these days people do attain rainbow body and there are still practitioners who attain accomplishment. And actually this one I was reading into um, a Christian, um, I, I forget if he's a, um, what type, if he's a monastic or not, but he's actually um, researching these phenom this phenomena um, as something that might have happened to Christ. Um, obviously, we see in the Bible uh, situations like this about levitating into into the thin air and also um, body disappearing after you know after death. Um, so they're looking into you know maybe this is something that that has some some Christian revelances uh, as well. So this is also Ergen Rinpoche. Ergen Rinpoche has a book called Blazing Splendor and Rainbow Paintings. These books are amazing books um, for autobiographies or, or uh, biographies on, on saints that have attained enlightenment. So Ergen Rinpoche was a beautiful master, but he knew all of these incredible beings and, and um, you know, his, his father and, and his uncles and cousins and whatnot all knew these amazing uh, enlightened beings and they have incredible stories and they're very, very inspiring. So Blazing Splendor and Rainbow Paintings, um, two incredible books to inspire us to recognize our own potentials. Milarepa's disciple, Gampopa, had many, many students. Among them, there were three principal desire, d disciples. One was quite extraordinary, and his disciples were remarkable, remarkable as well. They could fly through the sky. When the sun rose in the morning, they would fly to the opposite side of the valley to catch the rays of the sun. Wherever they set off from or landed, the whole flock, guru and disciples alike, often left their footprints in the rock. Once my father took me to see the footprints, I counted more than 30 sets all in a row. In those days, they obviously did not wear shoes because all the imprints were of bare feet. One could see the imprints of the heel and the toes very clearly. When the afternoon sun was sinking, the flock would fly back to the opposite side of the valley to catch its last rays and warmth. And again, they would leave similar footprints. This reminds me of an interview that the Dalai Lama gave. I don't know if you've seen this one. And again, like Ergen Rinpoche, they're not one to, to lie, <laughs> like the Dalai Lama. But the Dalai Lama speaks of yogic flying. He talks about this, about seeing the yogis fly in the valleys of Tibet. It's quite amazing. And I've told this story before. I had a monk friend, and he had a monk friend, so a friend of a friend. He was an atten attendant of a, of a monk who would accidentally levitate. And so this was in the U.S. They were, this monk was, um, this Rinpoche was giving a talk. 
And so when Rinpoche's give talks, they, you can get an audience. You can have a private interview with the Rinpoche, usually. They're really short, like five or ten minutes or something like that. And you usually meet with the attendant, and the attendant will let you in to the room. And for some reason, the attendant stepped away. And so this participant, you know, went in for her interview, and she just walked right in. And, and when she did, the Rinpoche was levitating over her, over his bed. And so the attendant saw it out of the corner of his eye and es escorted her out and then told the Rinpoche, hey, you're doing it again. <laughs> Supposedly he didn't know. He just, he'd be kind of meditating and whatnot and then he would do this and then, you know, come back down. Okay, let me see. All right, um, one second, just want to find. So I just want to say something about awareness itself. So kind of coming back around to, to the recognition of, of pure wakefulness. Uh, this is, um, this is a text, I forget what text it is, but this is supposedly Manjushri, who's uh, this, uh, the, the deity of wisdom, in, in uh, Tibetan deity of wisdom. So we have, you know, Chenrezig is the deity of compassion, uh, Manjushri is the deity of, of wisdom. Supposedly, this is, this is the words that Manjushri heard. Uh, which was the cause of, of his attainment. Just by hearing these words of this text, he became enlightened. So this is also called enlightenment upon hearing. Homage to the realization of confidence in self-awareness. The nature of awareness is free from existence and various arisings of self-appearances are ceaseless. So all the phenomena existing are arising as pure land of Dharmakaya, and all the arisings are liberated in the nature of awareness itself. The view, introduction to the nature of one's own awareness itself. The path, becoming certain of the single point of maintaining nature itself. The result, having confidence in the liberation of seen phenomena as primordial essence. So I've, I hope some of this has, has been inspiring or, or kind of made sense and whatnot. It's like on one hand we have, we have of course relative reality, we have dualism, we have right and wrong, all of this. Then we have mind essence, primordial, primordially pure. Uh, and that mind essence, the, that which perceives and that which is perceiving is like water 
in, in like uh, water meeting water, right? So all phenomena, phenomena are perceived in this way, just like the mind is empty, uh, is empty, so is all phenomena. And so I, I want to break up into groups and just see how this, this landed. Again, you know, these topics, topics are always interesting to, to take on and in um, such a small amount of time, but I find it fascinating and really, really important um, that we continue to, to look at the ultimate essence of things. As we go about our daily life, if we move with this wisdom of, of emptiness and we act from this, this place, then we cannot get caught up um, even in a, in, a, in a more contracted, there's actually contracted um, uh, ways to express loving kindness uh, and, and, uh, and, and compassion. So obviously, sometimes love can ultimately express itself in, in jealousy or envy and these types of things. And this is because we're, we're lacking the wisdom piece. So we have to keep this right view as we, as we extend our loving kindness, as we extend our compassion. We're doing so with the right view of this, this ultimate reality. Right? So yeah. So I'll give us time to connect with one another, just see how this landed for you or didn't land for you. <laughs> and, um, and then we'll reconvene. So I'll break us up into, into, into groups. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> All right. We had a good time connecting. Um, yeah, anyone want to share what came up for them? I'm sorry, I'm busy levitating right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just meditating, but I, yeah, I stopped right when I turned. Oops, I did it again. So being a, being a very artistic, uh, colorful person who has, like, I've drawn comic books before, I work in animation, um, I like that this, uh, in, even in Buddhism, which a lot of people even consider just to be very serious and focus on the breath and become pure, um, but there is this side uh, that's expressive and interesting to me and colorful um, and has lots of myth and storytelling and magic to it uh, and the um, you know there's just so many doorways for every kind of person um, whatever you need you know you can find a doorway into the, into presence whether it's colorful or you know just thank you Anthony? Yeah, um, I've done a lot of reading in Zen, uh, less in Tibetan Buddhism, and it's interesting that you also have similar stories of miracles and uh, powers and 
uh, usually they're it's demonstrating them as frowned upon uh, you know if you if you bring someone to Buddhism through the performance of miracles the actual practice is very unmiraculous sitting and meditating and so it, it's you know but it's interesting that that uh, it's it's in various schools of Buddhism but uh, it's not something that's that's uh, really talked about too much uh, it's not really a part of the path it's more of a side effect uh, it seems um, some of the abilities that people develop um, so that's all I had to say <laughs> thank you yeah I think that the cities you know the powers um, is really careful not to not to talk about them too much as something is because we want it to be more of a, just a byproduct. Uh, but I think it's cool for the the mind to to recognize that those things are potentialities, so we can move towards um, the actual the, the lack of the the freedom from suffering aspect of that. Yeah, and then. Someone mentioned to me that Kevin, I think you were cut off in your group, um, that you were you were chatting, but then we, we came back from the groups. Did you want to continue that that thought? It, it was just an observation, it had nothing to do with our conversation, but thank you. Okay. All right, cool. This reminds me of uh, Richard Bach's books, um, the, you know, the journey of John Williams and Seagull and illusions. Um, yeah. Master who flies a biplane without any fuel and doesn't get any bugs on his propeller and windshield. <laughs> yeah, lots of cool stories. Yeah, Kate. I have a question. Mm -hmm. You may or may not be able to answer. Are these, would this be a story you would tell in like the community of Tibetans who are lay people, stories that children would hear? Or is this sort of just inside the the monastic practice that you would hear this kind of content? Uh, I think, yeah, you hear it kind of everywhere in, in those traditions because it's, um, it, it's, I wouldn't say commonplace, it, maybe it's more commonplace, but mostly because it's very visible. You know, the, these things are extremely visible, especially like in, in Tibet, those, these are landmarks where, you know, the footprints in the stone, the handprints in the stone, um, uh, even like the the seventeenth Karmapa, you know, who's alive now, what he's thirty something. He fairly recently, in the past, I would say, you know, decade or something, put an Omani Om Om chant into a stone, just waved his hand real quick, and there's people around. He just went like that, and then Omani Pemium went into the stone. It's still there. So all these things are very prominent. Um, and so, 
yeah, I think the stories are just kind of just, just around, you know. Yeah, Mark. One of the things I said in the in the group uh, this morning is it's you know, these stories are sort of hard because for me what was important about the practice and what's kept me is you know this brought me back to experience you know you know to, to my own experience in some ways you know that what are the feelings that are in the body what is what are the what are the thoughts that are going on the head what is this moment here right now doing you know what is real rather than rather than you know faith in some omnipotent being doing different things which is sort of how, how I was raised and so mm -hmm. to then pivot pivot out to these you know stories of moving through stones and this other you know this other mm -hmm. thing when you know the admonition is don't believe it because the Buddha said it but because it because mm -hmm. it reveals itself to be true to you it's you know I don't want you know you know I mean it's so my own experience in my own practice tells me not just to make these apocryphal or mythological stories, and yet it's such a challenge to my to my conception of what is quote unquote real in my own experience right now. So yeah. so anyway, it's just this you know sort of mind stretching in you know how to how to square you know my own practice, which is very much just staying with the breath and the motion and what's presently here, and you know levitating monks, you know, and how to, you know, and not as a, not as just a, you know, a fable, but, you know, that, that, that really is understanding the, the true nature of reality, you know, and then, you know, my own very limited understanding of physics that really does sort of, you know, seem to, you know, that there are physical laws that sort of make this seem like maybe it's not just, you know, that maybe it is real. So anyway, it's, it's always fun, Casey. I love these. I love these things. <laughs> you know, the the one thing I will say is that they used to really piss me off when you did them before. <laughs> the first few times, I would just get, I would just get angry. And now I'm more, I'm now I'm more amused or intrigued than, than irritated. So we'll take it. <laughs> it's always fun. So thank we'll you. It. Yeah, that that's a great point. Like, how do we make the you know stuff like this more you know accessible you know and relevant i should say you know to to our to our experience and and you know we could do this we start off intellectually you know um seeing the empty nature of things and then recognizing that the the the, the empty nature of things is a little bit uh, a little bit different but we could do this very quickly that we cannot find the inherent existence anything you know, we cannot find the self, you know, like the, the mark, you know, you can't find mark, right? So even though Mark's existing, we can't point to, I can't point to Casey, right? I can't point to the chair in the chair. I can't point to the car in the car. So this is, I mean, this is very, very quick, like very, very quick. We could see, we, we could understand just through the intellect. We cannot see the table in the table. There's no table in the table. Right? There's the chair, there's the stands, there's the top, there's whatever, but no part of that is, is the actual table. So back to that Thich Nhat Hanh quote, you know, he said, what's it empty of? It's empty of separateness, it's of, of self-existing, it's, it's interdependent arising, it's only arising through interdependence that in and of itself it does not exist. 
So we can take the intellectual approach to this, but just to think now, if you realize that, that there's no table there, although the table's appearing, that you exist, you exist there, but not in, in a permanent fixed state. In fact, you exist like the, the table exists, and then the wall exists like the stone exists. If you were to, to know that experientially, not just with the intellect, then how would that experience be for you to move through this so-called reality, right? It would be different. We could, we could move differently through, through it. And, and again, too, how it relates to our suffering, like who cares if you could see the world in this, is that we get attached to the figments of our imagination. We become attached to person, we become attached to I, we become attached to self, we become attached to objects, and we're moving through a solid world, right? <laughs> Where we're in the center of our own universe. And, and that type of grasping can cause suffering. You know, so, so from an, an emotional standpoint, you know, we want to be able to see these things clearly because we just want our minds to, be, to, to, more, to move more fluidly through our existence instead of fighting it. Well, I want to respect everyone's time. Um, thank you for playing along. <laughs> like Mark said, like not getting upset and everything. We have these little time, you know, little sections of time. Uh, but but I'd love to, to bring it up every once in a while. It's important. So really appreciate it. But anyway, thank you. Thank you all um, so much. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.